I was having a conversation yesterday, text conversation with somebody um, doing a one-year Bible reading plan. And as I'm going through it, others have asked to join along with that. And so I got a text saying, I don't understand. It says God is jealous. I thought jealousy was a sin. And, you know, I spent some time explaining that like a lot of uh, emotions as well as uh, virtues, there can, be a, there can be a sinful side to it as well as a good side to it. Anger, for example, it says, in your anger do not sin, which means there are times that it's okay to be angry. There is a righteous indignation. And clearly, when, when it talks about God being a jealous God, he's saying, uh, I want your love exclusively, just for me. So there's a very positive side to jealousy. And then there's the sinful side of jealousy that knows that my daughter is in Sarasota, Florida today. And I'm like, hey, yeah, okay, so I got a little confession to do right now. But anyway, uh, Shelly is Shelley's off enjoying the beach. Brian and Riley are off enjoying the snow and mountains in Colorado, and to replace both of them, Nate came from Texas today. So good to have Nate home. And uh, it's funny because he was saying yesterday that Abilene was sitting at 90 degrees. And I was like, yeah, we'll, we'll feel that someday, but not today, not right now. So, so good, so good to be with you this morning. Uh, we, have, we have just a, a, lot, of, a lot of stuff uh, to bring to you today. And one, I just want to point out some things on the... Um, on the weekend update that we've, that we've switched a little bit, changed. We're going to be doing a little bit of a change with what we're doing with the, the live stream. We recognize that some pieces of the live stream uh, don't necessarily play as well or work as well as they do when you're literally live. So what we're doing from here forward is uh, we're going to go ahead and have the live stream at 9 and 11, and it'll, it'll last for a little bit of, sun, uh, of Sunday. And then beyond that, we're doing a, more of an edited version that will be there from there forward. So you'll notice up there that it says live later and then listen under watch. So if you're joining live, you can click that right away. If you're, if you're joining Monday, Tuesday, or later, you'll want to hit the, the later button instead, but you have that. You also have uh, several uh, links down at the bottom, including events and groups, just easy ways. We're trying to make everything as quick and easy to get there, uh, get to something that, that you need. So as always, you have the, the reading that's going to be part of Sunday morning, the listening, the music links are there, but you have all of that. You go down to the very bottom announcement, and it talks about Green Lake, heading off to, heading off to Green Lake at the beginning of June. And uh, I know that we're all a little bit thrown off right now in terms of what time of year it is. With Easter being so very late this year, and then with, with God refusing to turn on the heat in Illinois, between those two things, it, you know, we, we still have a mindset that it's kind of like the, the middle of February or something. It really isn't. Believe it or not, this week, April will happen. And so uh, the, the registration deadline for Green Lake is approaching quickly, April 15th. And you kind of wonder, you know, why so early? And, and one of the big pieces behind that is uh, because like with so many things we're trying to do these days, there's ordering that needs to take place, things that supplies that we need to get. And some of those things are getting really difficult to find or really difficult at the right price. So we got to have a really good handle on who's going along. We almost had a, an international catastrophe this year, at ch this week at church. 
Um, we, we couldn't get animal crackers for the life of us. We have a, a, an official animal cracker supplier, five pound nice jug of animal crackers and uh, six bucks, sweet deal. And we're, we're looking around for animal crackers. We could not find them anywhere, anywhere. And, uh, and, and in fact, what, the ones that we could find, that same jug, they've gone from $6 to $35. And, you know, we don't need a, a toddler revolt or anything like that. And so we actually got done with our staff meeting, and Brian went over to the animal cracker place. And I'm not, I'm not kidding. It was like manna fell from the sky. There was this whole pallet of animal crackers sitting there. He, he FaceTimes me. I'm like, buy 100. Get all you can. We didn't do 100. But, but we're okay on animal crackers. But the bottom line is, some of the things that we get and need all the time around here are getting a little more difficult to find or, or a lot more expensive to find. So that's part of the reasoning behind that earlier deadline. So if you've been stalling signing up, don't stall too much longer uh, because, because that is going to be closed as of April 15th. The other thing that we're really excited to, to announce today has to do with uh, Quest coming up at the end of June and I'm, I'm thrilled to say, first of all, that your response to small group leader guides has been tremendous. And right now, we're, we're at a point of being able to say, we need no more small group leader guides. You've done a great job filling that role. We will, we will be able to accommodate all the kids we hoped to be able to accommodate with Quest. So, so thank you for that. Now, some of you have been th thinking, well, I, that's great, but I, I want to do something else. I don't necessarily want to guide a group of, of children all day long. And so that's where this comes in. We're calling at the Serve Squad this year. And the Serve Squad is basically the privilege to get involved in just about anything else at camp. For example, after a day of a couple hundred kids wandering through here and all the volunteers, it gets a little messy. And so we get someone in here later in the day to do some basic cleanup, get things, get things in order. Uh, we have five-gallon jugs of water that need to be run to different stations, and someone grabs the golf cart and gets those out and around. There are all kinds of little serves to be done along the way. Some of them can be literally, hey, I'm only available on Monday. Great, you can serve that day. Or, hey, I'm only available between 12 and 3. Well, then we'll go ahead and give you a time slot to do that serve. But we're looking for... Um, Serve squad, both, both adults as well as students. Some of you, you know, you're out of quest now. You want to get involved in serving. We'd love to have you serve. And so whether it is the adult serve squad or the student serve squad, uh, now's the time to start signing up for that. Now, we're doing something a little bit different with the student one than we are with the adult version. The adult version Click the link, go online, sign up. You're not necessarily signing up for a specific role. You'll be contacted about what needs to be done, what are your gifts, what's the time available, all that sort of thing. So we'll be contacting you on that. But on the students, you'll find there is no link to go to. Here's what we're doing with students. That's, that's kind of a novel thing. It's a throwback to, say, if you were born in 1963. So... Bottom line is, we're having you, if you want to be part of the student serve squad, go to the Welcome Center, go to, go to the table out there, and talk to a person standing there and say, I'd love to be part of the serve squad. Now, why are we doing that? Well, I'll tell you why. Because Dennis was horrible at looking an adult in the face and saying, I want to help. I'd have my mommy do it all the time. 
I'm not kidding. My mom, my mom would get me jobs. My mom would get me involved. I'm like, I'm too afraid to go. And, and, and I don't want you to be like Dennis in this particular regard, you know? I want you to be able to walk up to an adult. Yeah, some fossilized 35-year-old. I want you to be able to walk up to an adult, look him in the eye and say, I want to be part of Serve Squad. Now, I know for some of you, you know, you're the mom and you're like, yeah, I know my kid. They'll never do that. Walk up with them. This is what Mrs. Papp should have done. Walk up with them. Dennis, do you have something you want to say? I want to be part of Serve Squad. <laughs> what was that? I want to be part of Serve Squad. Okay. But see, here's the thing. Throughout the week, you're going to have to interact with these fossils. So you might as well start now, okay? So this is just, it's a, it's a, it's a different skill. I know you're used to clicking the link or, or talking to a virtual somebody. This is real-life skin and blood. You're going you're gonna to walk up to that person and actually ask to be part of the serve. So... I, I, I think that's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have a great time as we head into Green Lake, head into Quest. Got Easter coming here not too long from now. Uh, just a great, a great spring ahead. We're going to be talking this morning about um, sacrificial generosity. And, and as we do, I, I, I want to I call your attention to a, to a passage of Scripture found in Matthew chapter 25. It says, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them with his wealth. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags of gold, and to another one, each according to his ability. I love that piece. The, the, the master knew how we were wired. Each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once, put his money to work, and gained five more bags. So the one who had two put it to work, gained two more bags. But the one who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. Listen to the, the master's response. Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been... Faithful with the few things I've given you. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The one who received two bags also said, Master, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. And see, I have gained two more. And he said, the master, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with the few things I've given you. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered. So I was afraid, and I went out, and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And he handed him the one bag. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money in the bank, and at least it would have returned some interest so he gave the bag of gold from him, took the bag of gold from him, and gave it to the one with ten. For whoever has been given more, for whoever has will be given more, and they will be, have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even that which he has will be taken away from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
It's interesting as you look at this passage that the thing that prevented this servant with one bag of gold from investing what he had been given was fear. Fear is an ugly thing. How often does fear keep us from obedience? How often does fear keep us from just doing what God is calling us to do? You know what we do up here up front sometimes? It can be a little bit of a fearful thing. You talk to some of the adults. Summer Middleton played piano last week for the first time on worship team. And, and I'll tell you what, she looked serene and composed, and inside her heart was beating like a drum set. She was, she was it was nerve-wracking. And there's that nerve-wracking side for people as they serve that sometimes their nerves, their fear will cause them to say, I think I'm going to keep the bag of gold buried. Well, this morning, uh, we're, we're going to enjoy a serve today. Our junior high band, the junior high band that leads, ref, that leads uh, Revive on Wednesday nights is going to be leading us in worship today. And I love this because um, they've been willing to overcome their fear of leading fossils in worship. This is great, right? They're, they're willing to spend some time with us today, uh, leading us in that, in that awesome moment of worship. And there's so many, so many gifts represented up here. I, I love the fact that you know, not only have the kids that are singing, but uh, you know, Lorelai's pulling out that cello and going crazy on that. Vaughn's been taking lessons for, I don't know, a million years. Not quite that long, right? But still, you got all these people that are bringing these, these gifts to the table, as well as, as, well as Bob Coyne and, and Ryan Kuchar, who invest their lives in these kids. I commented to Ryan after the first service. I'm like, man, you, you are a generous kid. How many, how many guys want to lead a junior high band, right? I mean, it's just probably not a life goal for most high schoolers. Um, and here he is being generous with this time. So we're going to enjoy the generosity they're sharing with us today. And as we do, we'll be, uh, we'll be headed off during this first song to communion. So you have the tables at the front and the back, gluten-free on either side of the stage, as well as a table at the back. Enjoy this song of worship uh, as we go to communion. We, we tend to think of the nerve-wracking job being the one standing up front, but I'll tell you what, it is incredibly nerve-wracking to be back in that room back there, switching words and, and making sure that the right thing comes on the screen at the right time. And uh, Gibby Urban was involved this morning in getting the word switched from one slide to the other. So I uh, just love, love the fact that we can get our, our kids involved in serving this way. And we all need to be involved in, in serving. We've seen that as we've looked at uh, the, the rhythms that we're getting established through Rooted daily rhythms, some of them weekly rhythms, lifetime rhythms. We want them built into our lives, like the rhythm of daily devotions, spending time every day, looking at what God has to say. That's part of what that workbook is all about. I know for some of you, you know, you've done a great job. You got through week five, week six. You were, you were nearly daily keeping up with the workbook, and you know, now it's been two weeks, and you're like, where is my workbook? It's time to find it again. Get it out and keep that rhythm going. Because again, this isn't just about finishing the 10 weeks of the workbook, but it's about establishing a rhythm of daily connecting with God by hearing what he has to say through his word. And then there's the, the privilege of talking to God through prayer. Freedom from strongholds, consistent repentance. Not an every once in a while repentance, not every once in a while I'm saying, God, I'm sorry, but coming to God consistently with a repentant spirit. Over the last two weeks, we talked about serving, and it's not just serving like my family, serving people I like or I know, 
serving at my church, but serving my community and really my world, serving beyond myself, serving people I've never met, serving, just doing things that, that, that go ahead and exhibit the love of Christ and who Christ is to our lost world. And I love that serving is given to us in connection with the next habit we'll be developing, and that's the habit of sacrificial generosity. You can't serve well if you're not sacrificially generous. Sometimes we serve because we want to be seen, we want to be recognized. We talked about all that last week. The true motivation for serving is, I love Jesus, I want to show the love of Jesus to the world, and I'm going to do it in a sacrificially generous way, giving of myself. As we talked about last week, literally dying. We're, 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 there's a death to ourselves going on all the time as we serve as well as as we give. So this morning, I, I love what Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It says each of us should give what we decided to give in our hearts. We don't give an assignment. This is how much you'll give to our church or something like that. Decide what you give in your heart. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion. What's the motivation? Sacrificial generosity. God loves us when we give cheerfully. He loves seeing that cheerful face. And I'll tell you what, so many times, being a parent is a great lesson on the relationship be between God and me, right? The times my kids give and there's a spirit of cheer and the times they give because of reluctance or compulsion, whatever it may be, God looks at us the same way. And when we give cheerfully, it causes him to smile. Now, as we talk about sacrificial generosity today, we could take one or two, two approaches. We could talk about methods of generosity. How do we go about giving? And I think that's a really important conversation. It's a conversation, honestly, that I think is handled a lot better in a small group or in a one-on-one -on -one discipling relationship, because sometimes we need to talk the nuts and bolts about where we are financially with somebody. To be able to talk about, I'd love to be more generous, but I've got this boatload of debt over here. How do I handle all of these things? But there are certainly some great lessons to be learned in the mechanics of generosity. They mentioned one of them in the workbook, one from Dave Ramsey and other financial advisors that says, hey, for the most part, we should live a 10-10-80 life. 10% should go to God. 10% should be saved, and we should live on 80% of what comes in. For most of us, we have more of a 0-0-143%. You know, we are living on all kinds of money that is not ours, and because of that, we're being strangled. We can't be generous. We, we find ourselves in a place of not being able to save because like the average American, we are living way, way, way beyond our means. And so this simple method really trains our hearts. For, for my family, Kim and I started giving right from the start of our marriage, and we had nothing, I promise you. My first job out of college, I was making 7,800 bucks a year. And we committed, we're going to do that 10%. We're going to do this thing that God has called us to do. It wasn't always easy. There were times that we were going, man, I, you know, how are we going to do this this week? Because, you know, macaroni at Cub Foods at that point was 89 cents a box. And, you know, we, we'd have to buy a lot of macaroni in order to make it. But, but God grew that generosity in us, and it continued as we went along. It was a little harder to do the save 10% early on because we had living expenses and we're trying to live and we're trying to do all these things. But slowly but surely that grew as well. But I'll tell you what, we were always, we were always 
committed to, we are not going to live on more than what we receive. No matter what the, what the salary was, we were going to try our best to live on what is coming into our house. We weren't going to be the live on 143%. So we didn't get to do a Disney vacation every year. And we didn't upgrade our house every other year. And a couple of our cars were well broken in when they hit 250,000 miles. And we're like, can we get another 100,000 out of this? But, but here's the thing about living that way. One, it taught us tremendous trust in God. You know, the times that I wanted to pull back on giving to God, here's what I realized. How did that car make it to 250,000 miles? Some of it was God literally preventing injuries to my car, keeping it going, keeping things going. The, the shoes not wearing out in the wilderness, that supernatural provision. I think there is a supernatural provision, a supernatural protection that comes when we're generous with God that way. But, you know, we, we kept, we kept that, that in line. We kept doing that. And, and a couple of great benefits from that. My, Kim tells me that in about four months, we are going to be able to sever our relationship with the bank. I can't wait. We're going to finally be able to say to the bank, it's ours. We're not sharing anymore. It's not yours. It's ours. That's done. Mortgage done. I love it. We've been able to, because we live that way, help our kids significantly with their college to the point that each of them were able to graduate without debt just by living a 10-10-80 faithful lifestyle. There are methodologies that can really help us, really help us. But I don't want to spend all the time talking method today. I'm going to talk about motivation. I'm going to talk about heart. Because we can, we can grind out 10-10-80 out of compulsion, out of necessity, instead of out of love for God, and really a spirit of cheerfulness. So what's the spirit behind sacrificial generosity? Or I might even take this, what's God trying to accomplish in me when he says, I want you to be faithful in giving? Because I want you to just think about this for just a moment. God really don't need your cash, right? Did, did he call you advice for you for advice when he created the world? You know, I'm about to make some giraffes. Would you mind stepping up and show me how long should the neck be? What should we do here? God made all of these things by saying, be, just be. Light, be. Do you think God could not take care of the needs of the world by right now just saying, here? He doesn't need these things from us. He wants us to participate in his work in the world. He wants us to be a reflection of his image to the world. And so he gives us the privilege of growing a generous, sacrificial spirit. What is he growing in us? Well, for one thing, he's transforming my values. He's taking the values that I have as an earthbound human, and he's trying to help me to understand that that is not what I'm really all about. There's a quote that I came across in the past decade. I've used it more than once, and I love it. We are not human beings on a spiritual journey. We are spiritual beings on a human journey. This is a wake-up call to all of us because we think we're human beings and we splash a little spiritual on it. And it's just the opposite. We are spiritual beings who happen to be spending 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years on a human journey and then we will go on with the rest of our eternal existence. But we live as if this is it as if this is what life is all about, as if this moment of human existence is all of our existence, and God is trying to transform our values completely. 
God comes to earth in the form of Jesus. And I love the way he came. Because he came humbly and he came absolutely poorly in poverty. He says, the Son of Man, Jesus, does not even have a pillow on which to lay his head. Don't you love this example? The example of Christ who says, I get it to such a degree that I know this world is not my home, nor anything in it is my home. I'm going to live a completely spiritual life on this earth. You know, earlier in my life, I often wondered what I would do, especially later in my life as I, as I approach 50s and 60s, I tried to think of some great, fun spiritual adventures. And one of them, I thought it'd be cool if we would just sell everything we have and go live with, with a tribe of people somewhere indigenously. Just, just live with them. Do what they do and live the way they do. And, you know, I know my wife. I know she's, she's sacrificial and all, but, you know, we don't, we don't camp, okay? We don't do that kind of stuff. And so I'm looking at this, and I'm like, I want to live just the way they do, but maybe we could do it with a tiny house, or, or four tiny houses slammed together, and we'll call that our house. We could do that, but it's got to have air conditioning. We could do that, but indoor plumbing is required. Indoor water is required, and cable wouldn't hurt either. You know, here, we would like to pretend that we could come and live like someone else, and we'd already be ramping up a little bit, this, that, or the other thing. Jesus came, and he didn't just live like us. He lived less than most of us. He lived far less than most of us. And in part, he was doing this because he wanted to transform our values. He wanted us to see that this isn't what it's all about. We're in the womb for nine months some of us like to come out a little early. Others, Brian, stays a couple extra weeks. But roughly nine months, we're in that womb. And then we come out, and, and if we live a long, rich life, we might make it to 90, even, even surpass that. Can you imagine if you were conscious in the womb and you said, hey, I don't know what's coming. I'm going to invest everything I got in these nine months. I'm, I'm all in on these nine months. That's it. And we just said, the 90 years, I, whatever. These 90 years are the womb of eternity. And we're investing it all as if the 90 years are it. As if this is what it's all about. And, and I'll tell you what, in proportional comparison, the 90 years are, are nothing compared to the nine months in comparison to 90 years. We're investing an awful lot in that which is temporal, in that which is, has no eternal value whatsoever. Jesus said, we're going to be looking at Matthew 6 a lot, this portion of the Sermon on the Mount. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat and rust destroys them and thieves break in and steal. You know what I love about him saying this? He was living out his words how many times have we, had, have we had a leader who tells us all what we should be doing, but they don't do it themselves? He was living this out. Store up treasures in heaven where moths and rust can never destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, the desires of your heart will be also. And then this verse we looked at last week, no one can serve two masters. You can hate the one, love the other, you'll devote to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. A lot of us live as if we can have it both ways. I can love God, and I can love my things. I can have both. He says, it is a choice. It's a one or the other. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. 
He says quite flatly, I want to transform your values. I want you to invest in what really matters. I want you to be invested in relationships. I want you to be invested in the things that really matter, not just the trinkets of this world. The first thing God is doing is transforming our values. The second thing, he's releasing my grip. We are born with clutch fists. Time and time again, the baby comes out of the womb and they're not like, hey, I'm here. They're, right? And, and some of you are in, are in baby land right now and you're having fun with that and you're getting close to her. You've just had the first words and the competition goes on. Will it be mama? Will it be dada? What, what, what's the word that's going to, oh, that's so cool. I win, whatever. And mama and dada come out. And then, and then comes the rest of the toddler vocabulary. My me, mine, no. Right? Any of you have a kid that came out and said, us, we, you, yes. None of us, because every one of us gave birth to a sinful little creature. Every one of us gave birth to a child. And some of you are going, oh, not my child. No, it's coming. I promise you. Because that, that's what self-centered people do. We, we live this way. And God, I, one of the great lessons God is teaching us in this life is opening the grip, releasing, letting go, right down to your very last breath, letting go, holding loosely, not gripping everything you have. He's teaching us surrender. Surrender of self, surrender of ego, surrender of things. I've been going through the one-year Bible, and there's a passage in Leviticus 19 that I really love. It talks about what you're supposed to do when you, when you farm or grow grapes or whatever. It says, here's what I want you to do. When you harvest, don't harvest the edges of the field. When, when you grow grapes, don't pick every grape off the vine. Leave some there. Leave some. Just let it be there so that, so that the poor, the foreigner can come along and grab some of the extras. We live clutching, right? I, garage sales are great. I don't, I'm not condemning garage sales. You can have garage sale you want, but I'm telling you what, it amazes me that I'll be out there with this thing I've got and put five cents on it because I'm going to get five cents for this thing. I'm going I'm to get something out of everything I have. Instead of being able to go, eh, I'm going to let the edges of the field go. I don't have to get something out of everything that I have. One of the practices that I've developed in more some recent years, quite consistently, when I head over to Morris to do my shopping, there's something in the car that's going to Goodwill. Something that I might even still want, but I go, you know what? This is the edge of the field. I don't have to have this. I don't have to have everything that's in my house. I can give some of it away. God is looking. He's looking to release our grip. Leaving the edges of the fields is part of a practical releasing of the grip, letting go. You want to talk about a a release gripping prayer? Oh, this one, you know it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You, not me. You, you. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Not mine, not my desires, not my way. Give us today our daily bread. That, I think that's one of the toughest lines for modern Americans to live out, right? We have two fridges, three freezers, and they're packed. I don't need daily bread. I've got hamburger that I've owned since 2014. 
why do I, I felt so bad. I go through this and someone catches me on the way out and they say, you would have to talk about that today. We just bought a cow, you know, a side of beef. It's in the freezer. I'm like, no, it's, it's not. The, the point is for most of us, we don't live a daily bread lifestyle. We don't live in such a way that we're dependent on God for the next thing. We ensure, we keep ourselves well insulated. Forgive us our debts as we've forgiven, even there, a letting go of my revenge, a letting go of that hatred that I have for someone else. Lead us not into temptation, but, but, but give us freedom from the evil one. All of this, is a, it's a surrender prayer. Surrendering again and again and again. Letting go of the self. God's transforming my values, and he's releasing my grip. Here's the third thing he's doing. He's trying to help me to understand my role. He's trying to understand my role in relationship to him and in relationship to other people and relationship to the things of this world. So, you know, Shelly obviously is into music, and so one of the habits we've had through the through years is when American Idol season comes on, we kind of we go through the herd and watch them sing and see the auditions down to whoever the winner is. So it's audition season once again. And my, this is my almost 60-year-old brain recalling this story, so I might have some details wrong, but nonetheless, the spirit is correct. Uh, this girl comes on out, and she got, you know, she got the, the country thing going, and Shelly loves when the country people come on. It's her, it's her favorite. She wants to fast forward. I'm like, we're going to listen to this. So anyway, the little country girl comes out, and Luke Bryan immediately realizes she's a country girl. Where are you from, little girl? And she says... Well, I have 12 acres in Pennsylvania. She's 15 years old. I have 12 acres in Pennsylvania. I laughed literally out loud. You have 12 acres in Pennsylvania. Right. State that correctly. Mama, Daddy, and the bank have 12 acres in Pennsylvania. You got nothing. You have have the privilege of living here. And at 18 years old, we'll renegotiate. But this is not yours. This does not belong to you. Isn't it comical that we do the same thing with God? We act as if this stuff, that's mine. And God's kind of snickering and going, really? You think that, huh? You think that belongs to you? Because what I read, it says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And we get the privilege of being part of what he owns. Again, no one can serve two masters. You either hate the one and love the other. You'd be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. What is it saying? God's the owner of all things. But we pretend to be the owner of all things. And you know what happens when that happens? We decide we're God. We decide to worship the things because we're worshiping ourselves. We looked at the passage already from Matthew chapter 25. Many times as Jesus is telling a story about the kingdom of God, telling a story about God the Father, he uses the analogy of a master and a servant. Not even a master and a slave, but a master and a servant, someone who's chosen to work for this other person. He uses the analogy of the master and the servant. Why does he use that analogy? Because he wants us to understand our role in the story. We are not the master. We are not the owner we, we're not, what, what the Bible calls us, it calls us stewards, which is, a, I think, a great word, though, lost in modern American English. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Another version says, it is required of those who have been given a trust to prove faithful. Everything God has given me is a trust. It's his, and I get to care for it while I'm walking this earth. I actually get to do his work in the world with his things, managing them. 
We have to look at ourselves and ask the question, am I the master or the servant? Am I the employer or am I the steward? Am I the owner or am I really the manager? Managing the things that God has given me. He wants us to understand our role. There's another thing he's doing to all of us, and that is he is stretching my vision. Through being sacrificially generous, he is stretching my ability to see the needs around me and to even see the needs of the whole world. Now, the fact is, for most of us, we are, we are sacrificially generous with the people that live in our house. We might be sacrificially generous with the people and the, you know, the organization we're part of as a church. We might have some degree of sacrificial generosity toward a neighbor, a relative, someone that we love. But when we really start getting beyond ourselves, our sacrificial generosity starts to diminish. You remember Matthew chapter 6, we saw this last week. Jesus was talking about when you give, don't announce it. Don't hold up the check. Look what I'm about to do. Isn't this exciting? Don't, don't proclaim trumpets blowing. Hey, someone here in need, I'm going to help them right now. Everybody watch. He says, don't do that. And he goes on to actually say, don't your, let your right hand know what the left hand is doing so that your giving may be done in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I want to I take this even one step further than what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, don't let everybody else know what you're doing. What if, what if in the process of giving, we didn't even know what we were doing? What if we didn't fully know or comprehend who, were, who we were helping? What if we gave to somebody, released to somebody, something that God is allowing us to manage, and there would be no direct benefit whatsoever? Because I think sadly, sometimes, not always, but sometimes, our giving is a bit of a manipulation. We give because of what we're going to get out of it. Whether it's that person liking us a little bit more, or that person's life will be better off, and because their life is better off, my life will be better off. There's some reason that we give that we might not even recognize in which we get some temporal benefit. But what God wants to grow in us is the Spirit of Jesus. The Spirit of Jesus was the Spirit of compassion. When he could look on need and compassion, that Greek word for compassion happens right here. It's, it's a sense that happens in my gut. It's a sense that happens deep within me that I am, I am moved by a need. I am moved by a pain. I am moved by a heartache. It's right there down deep. And time and time again, talked about Jesus being moved with compassion. Even the Samaritan who comes across this, this Jewish man on the side of the road who he should have hated, who he should have, who he should have neglected, who he probably even wondered, if I help him, is this a trap? Are there people sitting off here in the woods that are about to attack me? What's going on here? But he was moved with compassion over the need. You know, for those of us that watch the news, we're moved a lot of times, but it has nothing to do with compassion, right? We're moved to anger. We're moved to frustration. We're moved to contempt. We're moved to all kinds of things. But what's the possibility that you could start actually looking at those images on the screen and be moved to compassion? How can you not be moved to compassion when you see a mom holding the hand of a four-year-old girl and they've just been displaced from where they live? Everything that they own is in a backpack. 
I've been trying to imagine, like this whole Ukraine thing, been trying to imagine us. We live close enough to Canada. What if Canada actually had an army? And they decided Illinois looked like great property. We want it. What if they started lobbing bombs into Shanahan? And now they're getting closer and closer to my subdivision. Now I got to make the choice. Am I going to stay here or am I going to go? And my wife and I grab a backpack and a coat and we take what we've got and we escape to the free land of Indiana. Head on over there. That's all we have. Now, some of us, we want to look immediately at the political, well, you know, this, that, the other. Here's a human being in desperate need. Can you be moved by their plight? Are we moved by anybody's plight anymore? Someone we don't know? Someone that has no connection to us whatsoever? Can we be moved by their plight? What we'd like to do during the month of April is uh, provide you the opportunity for a special collection toward refugees in Ukraine so that we can give to somebody we've never known and will probably never meet. We're not going to sponsor a person with a face on a card. This is totally anonymous for the sake of being generous, for the sake of letting our hearts be moved in compassion. And ultimately, we'll give that money toward those people through Samaritan's Purse. And we're doing Samaritan's Purse for a couple reasons. It seems like every time there's a need, they hit the ground first. And they're not afraid of the name of Jesus. Because it's not just about being nice. It's not just about giving somebody some stuff. It's about making sure that the eternal condition is cared for as well. God's stretching my vision all the time. He's trying to stretch me so that I'll have a heart that is broken, not just for my world, but for the whole world. A heart that is broken beyond me. And then finally, he's testing my heart. I, I think with generosity, he's just constantly testing my heart. Some of us think that we've, we, we, can put, we can put an A+, plus, we can put a check mark on generosity. I got, I got that virtue down, I need to move on to something else now. We never get it down. We, we never get to the point that we are 100% completely sacrificially generous. There's always some way that we can continue to grow in generosity. You know, when I look back, I mean, it was hard giving 10% on 7,800 bucks a year. It's not as hard today. In fact, I don't know that I can always call my tithe sacrificial. Am I really hurt? Do I really have to look at the macaroni cubs gone at Aldi? You know, do I really have to? Am I living at that level of sacrifice? I don't want to ding them for the sake of dinging them, but you know, we have, we have a lot of bajillionaires in the world these days. A lot of people who have billions and billions and billions of dollars. And I always snicker when I hear things like, so-and-so gave $10 million to such-and-such. And I'm like, we gave more if we gave five cents proportionally. Truthfully. It's not sacrificial. It's big and well-announced. But it's not sacrificial. God's calling us to grow in sacrifice. In giving of ourselves completely. Look at Matthew 6. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about life, what you will eat or drink, or your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and body more than clothes? I love that the man who's speaking these words lived them completely. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store in barns. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you more valuable than a bird? Can anyone, by worrying at a single hour to their life, we're trying so hard to stretch out our minutes by clutching to everything we've got. 
Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not care much clothe you? You of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans, the earthbound people, Run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows what you need. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I don't know what it is about worry. I I just kind of thought that the older you got, the less you worried. Right? (laughs) What a joke. I go to the airport now, and it's like, Bathroom check. Where are they? Worried that I might not find one in time. The stupid worries we have in life, right? The goofy little worries. And God is up until the moment we're laying in our deathbed saying, I want to grow you in that. I want to grow you in that. I want you to be able to release your grip so that you can grow in your ability to not worry and completely trust me. Which, by the way, is what this has been all about. Look at the first letter, trust. He's trying to grow our trust. He's trying to get us to the place that we realize we are not God. He is God, and he is good, and he is trustworthy. Will we live in relationship with him and trust him by being sacrificially generous, or will we hoard and hold and do everything we can to ensure our existence. He wants to grow our trust. So, Father, we look to trust you. In big things and small, the car that might break down, the 401k that's now a 201k, the inflation that's rising, All the things that confront us, that that we might get worried, 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 what's going to happen? And you call on us to trust you. You want us to trust you. Jesus, we want to trust you. Help us to live out a sacrificial spirit through being completely generous, open-handed, doing what you ask and require. In Jesus' name, amen. Have an Alex come over here for a minute. I think there are two things that I'm really sick of saying in Illinois. It's so darn cold. <laughs> and goodbye. Sick of both those words so much. Last summer, um, we're at Green Lake, and uh, how old are you, Alex? Uh, Twelve. Twelve, yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> twelve. Were you 11 at Green Lake? No, I was 12. You were still 12, okay. Um, last year at Green Lake, we, the kids are all set up, the band is set up, they're ready to get started. And um, Alex sits down and just starts fiddling at the drums. And this was one of those moments. Like every, every head in the room that knew anything turned and went, who's that? <laughs> oh, my word. He's so good. And, and then it's like, how old is he? And, and by then you had taken 18 years of drum lessons, right? 
Never a drum lesson, right? At least up until that point. Had not taken a drum lesson at all. And he sits down and he starts to play. And we're all like, this kid has got to be playing all the time. And, and you know, at that point, I knew Aubrey's were leaving and whatever. And I'm like, yeah, we're growing up one of our own little drummers. This is great. I think the drum seat is getting to be a curse for us. Uh, Barney, you're not going anywhere. But anyway... Um, <laughs> Alex, I, I, wanted, I, know, I know that up front is not your favorite thing. This is probably killing you just a little bit. But <laughs> God has given you five bags of gold. And it's going to be easy going to a new place. It's going to be a little hard to you know, break in, find a place, all that sort of thing. But God wants you to keep using that gift. And I, I'm telling you, look at that guy back there. He's, he's a lot like you, okay? He's not, he's not the loudest guy in the room. He's not going to be the one that's going to speak up and, 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 and be the first person to talk all the time. But he's doing a great job leading not only student worship, but he's leading with adult worship too. You can do that. God's given you bags of gold. Use them, okay? Use them. <clears throat> Father God, I pray your very best for Alex. I pray that you will grow his heart to be sacrificially generous for you, to use the gifts that you've given him for, his, for your kingdom. And God, I thank you for all the gifts represented here this morning, standing here as well as those in the back, and just all the things anybody did today, not for praise and recognition, but because they love Jesus, they love people, and they want to serve with a gracious and compassionate heart. Grow that serving heart, grow that generosity in us, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.